Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. I'll now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together... We can make a difference. I can say that can be that music. So here's mine. In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. I'm Em, and welcome to Verbal Diorama, episode 18. Today, I'm going to be talking about Scott Pilgrim versus the world. And the podcast is back to a fortnightly, or if you're not in the UK, bi-weekly podcast. And I'm not going to lie, it feels kind of strange not putting something out every week. Um, but it appears I can't help myself. And some weekly episodes will be coming soon. Um, and I'm going to announce sort of what's happening at the end of the episode. But as for what I've been up to sort of over the last couple of weeks, um, well, my work, as in regular day job work, is incredibly busy at the moment and very stressful. <laughs> so the fact Orgstravaganza is over is probably a good thing. Um, and the rest of this month is actually kind of going to include me, obviously, coming back to Verbal Diorama sort of on a fortnightly basis. And also, uh, it will include me guesting on a few other podcasts. So um, next weekend, I'm going on Movies After Work with Thomas and Alex. And we're going to be talking about Bram Stoker's Dracula. And genuinely, to talk about the excellence that is Gary Oldman and the Francis Ford Coppola movie of Dracula, and not at all about Keanu Reeves. But... Yeah, whatever. Who am I kidding? <laughs> you know that I'm going to be talking about Keanu Reeves in that movie because it's quite famous um, for Keanu Reeves' specific performance. Um, 
But I'm really excited to be talking about Dracula, um, not just because of Keanu, but because I think it's an absolutely beautiful movie and I've not seen it in a long time and I'm really, really excited to watch it. Um, and so the weekend after that, I'm actually going to be guesting on two podcasts. So uh, both good friends of Verbal Diorama. So I'm going to be going back on Wulong Talks. Um, I was on Wulong Talks. Oh, gosh. Uh, I think it was back in like March time, I think. It was a long time ago. Yes, it was March because it was for Captain Marvel. So, yeah, I'm going back on Wulong Talks. Uh, those guys are actually, they've had a bit of a hiatus due to sort of family things going on and everything. But um, they're doing uh, a 90s action movie fest sort of special uh, podcast episodes. And um, I'm going to be talking about an absolute classic uh, 90s action movie. One of the very few that has a female lead as well. Um, so that's going to be with Jason and Rich. And the following day, so the actual, the day when my next episode comes out, I'm also going to be guesting on At The Flicks, uh, who are obviously guys who've... Um, sort of mentioned on this podcast before and um I have been on their show as well had a little chat with them a couple of months ago they are lovely guys and um yeah we are going to be talking about all sorts of cool stuff uh to do with superheroes so that is going to be awesome fun also um my article is still ongoing um it's kind of taken a bit of a back seat because I was actually contacted by a proper movie studio. And before you sort of kind of think, oh my God, like what is going on? Um, so the PR person of this movie studio contacted me and, and basically offered me a review. And I was a little bit like, uh, what? <laughs> um, so it's actually to review a documentary. So I basically said, yes, I, I'm going to watch this documentary and I'm going to write an article on it. So I have no idea still how they found me that was a super sort of unexpected and very exciting email to get and uh just as I'm recording this um I yesterday had the absolute pleasure of meeting and chatting with Simon Brew who uh runs Film Stories the podcast he runs two magazines He's been doing some live shows recently talking about sort of movies and um the industry and everything like that um, very, very interesting show. Um, I learned so much that I didn't already know. Um, and we had a lovely chat actually, uh, at the end of the show and we've kind of had some discussions back and forth for a little while. So it was really nice to meet him and just to kind of have a little bit of a chat and hopefully I'm going to be doing something with him. We're kind of just having a bit of a discussion at the moment, but I'm very excited about that. And that is enough about me, because I'm not Scott Pilgrim, but this is Scott Pilgrim. Hey, what's up? I'll leave you alone forever now. You know this one girl with hair like this? Yes, that's Ramona Flowers. She's out of your league. You know her? Tell me now. She just moved here, got a job at Amazon. I have to order something really cool. Scott... Are you waiting for the package you just ordered? Maybe. Scott Pilgrim? Hi, I was thinking about asking you out, but then I realized how stupid that would be. That's okay. You should just sign for this, all right? So do you want to go out sometime? I say yes, we sign for your damn package. So yeah, 8 o'clock? Come to this Battle of the Bands thing. You have a band. Yeah, we're terrible. Mr. Pilgrim! 
Ramona's first evil ex-boyfriend. What? Wait, we're fighting over Ramona? Didn't you get my email explaining the situation? I skimmed it. Mm-mm. What was that all about? If we're gonna date, you may have to defeat my seven evil exes. So what you're saying is we are dating? I guess. Does that mean we can make out? Sure. Scott Pilgrim! Prepare to feel the wrath of the League of Evil Exes. Ramona dated twins. At the same time. If you want something bad, you have to fight for it. Step up your game, Scott. Combo. Break out the L word. Lesbian? The other L word. Lesbians? What are you doing? Getting a life. You want to fight me for her? Why on earth would you want to do that? Because I'm in love with her. Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Maybe next time we don't date the girl with 11 evil ex-boyfriends. Seven. Oh, that's not that bad. So little synopsis about Scott Pilgrim versus the world. 22-year-old Scott Pilgrim is the bassist for his band Sex Bobomb in Toronto. He's currently dating a high schooler, Sex Bobomb superfan Knives Chow, and living with his roommate Wallace, who owns pretty much everything in their shared studio apartment. One night, he dreams about a girl who he meets the next day. Her name is Ramona Flowers, and he should stay away from her, but he can't. He becomes obsessed with Ramona and ignores an email from her ex-boyfriend, Matthew Patel. Matthew is the first of Ramona's exes. Scott soon realises that the League of Evil exes is a thing. There are seven of them and he needs to defeat them all if he has any chance of being with Ramona. I wanted to keep the synopsis quite kind of brief and quite to the point because I'm going to be talking quite a lot about the exes in a bit of detail later. But I want to talk about the cast. So... The cast is phenomenal in this movie, like completely amazing. You've got Michael Sarah as Scott Pilgrim, uh, Kieran Culkin as Wallace Wells, Anna Kendrick as Stacey Pilgrim, Alison Pill as Kim Pine, Aubrey Plaza as Julie Powers, Mary Elizabeth Winstead as Ramona Flowers, Jason Schwartzman as Gideon Graves, Johnny Simmons as Young Neil, Mark Webber as Stephen Stills, Ellen Wong as Knives Chow, Chris Evans as Lucas Lee, Brie Larson as Envy Adams, Mae Whitman as Roxy Richter, Brandon Ruth as Todd Ingram and Bill Hader as The Voice. And The Voice does the narration for the movie. So Scott Pilgrim vs. The World was directed by Edgar Wright. It was written by Michael Bacall and Edgar Wright and it was based on the only press graphic novels by Brian Lee O'Malley. So I can't talk about this movie at all without first talking about Edgar Wright. And the first thing I saw of his, which is a little TV show called Spaced. So Spaced wasn't the first thing he ever directed, but it's genuinely one of the greatest British comedies of all time. Like genuinely, it's one of my absolute favourites. I've watched it so many times. I adore Spaced. So it was written by and starred some guy, I think his name's Simon Pegg or something, and Jessica Stevenson, who now goes by Jessica Hines. Um, and it's basically about these two 20-something flatmates 
Tim Bisley and Daisy Steiner. And they end up pretending to be a couple in order to share a flat at a house in London because the ad specifies that they must be a couple. So there's some other dude called Nick Frost. Uh, He co-stars as Tim's best mate, Mike. Uh, Edgar Wright directed the show and it had two seasons between 1999 and 2001. So the actual genius of Spaced really deserves an episode of its own. And TV shows is something that I'm still kind of figuring out how and when to cover them. But I'm still planning to do TV. It's just it's just logistics of figuring out how to do it. But let me tell you, once I figure out how to do TV on the podcast and not kind of interrupt the schedule for the films that I want to do, I will be doing Spaced, most definitely. Um, And Spaced is very late 90s in its setting and music. And its cinematic style is probably most what you'd recognise as Edgar Wright. And also the fact it borrows and references a lot from movies, um, comic books, video games, music, and just generally late 90s culture. Something that has become somewhat of a staple in Edgar Wright's other more famous movies. So let's just quickly sort of go through those movies because we can't not go through those movies. So Shaun of the Dead, uh, which is on the list, by the way, came about, for example, uh, after an episode of Spaced where Tim hallucinates that he's fighting off a zombie invasion after playing Resident Evil 2 under the influence of drugs. Um, And I'm quite mindful that I don't want to make this the Edgar Wright episode. But as a director, he's pretty much always kind of hits it out of the park. So Sean was kind of an homage to 70s zombie movies and it was labelled the rom zom uh, That was followed by Hot Fuzz, which was a homage to sort of 80s, 90s action cop movies, which just happened to be set in a sleepy Gloucestershire village. And that is probably the Edgar Wright movie that I've seen more than any other. And then The World's End, which is probably the Edgar Wright movie I've seen the least. And if I'm being honest, it's probably my least favourite of sort of everything he's done. And I think that's because I haven't given it much of a chance to see it multiple times. Um, so that's the final movie of the Three Flavors Cornetto trilogy. So obviously you've got Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, The World's End. And the most recent movie that he did is The Outstanding Baby Driver, which is his most successful movie today and very, very well deserved. Um, also, I want to quickly mention Ant-Man. Um, so... That was obviously the Marvel Studios movie, which was set to be directed by Wright until he left, citing creative differences. Uh, He still has a story and screenplay credit with his partner, Joe Cornish, who directed Attack the Block, which is also on the big list. And his influence can still be seen in Ant-Man for Definite. You know he had something to do with Thomas the Tank Engine and I guarantee he had something to do with Luis describing everything. So... When you look at something like Scott Pilgrim versus the world, it seems like a bit of a departure for Edgar Wright because it was an adaptation of an existing graphic novel. It didn't include any of his regular collaborators apart from his co-producer, Nira Park, uh, who also worked on Space, Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. And it was a big Hollywood production, sort of in comparison to the small budgeted parts one and two of the Three Flavors Cornetto movies. Um, Universal Studios contacted Edgar Wright actually back in 2004 after artist Brian Lee O'Malley's publisher contacted producer Mark Platt about a movie adaptation of O'Malley's first volume of Scott Pilgrim, Scott Pilgrim's Precious Little Life. O'Malley didn't actually want some Hollywoodized version of his character, but he actually admits that he was a starving artist and he needed the money. In 2005, Wright is now on board 
and the studio signed Michael Bacall to co-write the screenplay with him. So Edgar Wright was also simultaneously riding Hot Fuzz with Simon Pegg at the same time. Um, and Hot Fuzz actually kind of beat Scott Pilgrim to the punch a little bit. It went into production first in March 2006. And at the same time, more volumes of Scott Pilgrim were being released. And the material of each was kind of being adapted into this screenplay for Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, the movie of which sort of the casting commenced in 2008. O'Malley was still actually writing Scott Pilgrim while they were making the movie. And because he hadn't finished, the filmmakers actually didn't have an ending. So originally the movie was going to end with Scott reunited with Knives, but it was actually in agreement with Wright, Bacall and O'Malley that they basically agreed the only satisfying ending would be Scott to have the happy ending with Ramona. Talking about the cast, I mean, this is the sort of cast that would cost you an absolute fortune to do a sequel. There will never, ever be a Scott Pilgrim sequel. But if there is a Scott Pilgrim sequel, it will cost them so much money because this is kind of some of the finest talent currently working in Hollywood. Um, But these were all kind of up-and-comers in sort of 2008. So the likes of Anna Kendrick, Brie Larson, Aubrey Plaza and... If you've listened to my episode with Nick and Tiff on Black Girls Do Stuff Too, King of Thirst, Chris Evans, these guys are big names now. This was a couple of years before Chris Evans even thought of doing Captain America. So this is kind of how big these guys are now. You've also got Kieran Culkin, uh, obviously the brother of Macaulay Culkin, who absolutely steals every single scene he's in. Uh, Ellen Wong, who is absolutely wonderful, she was 25 um while shooting this movie and she's playing 17 and you would never tell that this she was 25 she just looks so young and so innocent um also ellen wong is fabulous in glow um highly recommend glow it's a wonderful show uh michael sarah who was probably kind of most well known for his roles in arrested development and then the movies Superbad and juno was edgar wright's only choice for scott pilgrim um he wanted someone the audiences would still like even if he was a complete douchebag. Um, it's not really a spoiler to say that he, he is a bit of a douchebag. Um, and Mary Elizabeth Winstead, um, who'd been most well known for roles in Final Destination 3, Death Proof, and as John McClane's daughter in Live Free or Die Hard, was cast as Ramona Flowers, the mysterious, beautiful young woman who'd recently moved to Canada after a relationship breakup. So Mary Elizabeth Winstead's actually a trained gymnast. And one of the reasons why Edgar Wright choreographed her fight with Roxy was to highlight Winstead's gymnastic skills along with Mae Whitman's dance ability. So I mentioned on Twitter this week that in hindsight, talking about Scott Pilgrim actually gives me a bit of an issue because Scott Pilgrim is such a visual movie, it would actually be easier to make a YouTube video because that would make more sense than listening to a podcast about Scott Pilgrim because this is probably the closest thing to a really good video game movie that's not actually based on a video game that you'll ever see. The intro music at the start of this episode, that's from one of the greatest games ever made. The game I grew up playing, The Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past. I've always said that should I actually ever have a daughter, her name would probably include Zelda somewhere along the line. It's a game series that I played throughout my childhood and into my teens. Um, Ocarina of Time was perfection um but along with games like zelda i also spent a lot of time playing street fighter tekken um soul Calibur, and i've mentioned before on charlie's angels about how i trained as a kickboxer um and those games probably started that for me 
Chun-Li was a bit of an idol of mine growing up. And playing Street Fighter, I was always Chun-Li. Um, and playing Tekken, I was always Anna or Nina Williams. So really, I was always the token woman character, which is uh, story of my life. And so to have the movie that's so entrenched in gaming, games culture, and especially the 90s gaming culture I was so fond of, I went to see Scott Pilgrim vs. the World as soon as it came out. Um, turns out not many did, but we'll get to that later. I'll start by saying, actually, I started a while ago, but whatever, that I think Edgar Wright is a genius because only he could make a lead character such an absolute douchebag <laughs> because Scott Pilgrim is really... I, I can't think of any other word other than douchebag that's not really offensive, but he really is the douchiest of douchebags at the beginning. So I'm going to give a spoiler warning now because I haven't really kind of gone into the movie in much detail, but I really want to. So if you haven't seen Scott Pilgrim... Um, if you want to be spoiled, then carry on listening. Uh, but if you don't, obviously, I highly recommend you watch Scott Pilgrim because it's phenomenal. But yeah, just spoiler warning, I guess, for Scott Pilgrim. Scott. 22-year-old Scott. Rating awesome, apparently. We know he's dating a high schooler. So Knives Chow is 17 and he's 22. And to be fair to Scott... It's not like he's actually pressuring Knives into doing anything more sexual than hand-holding, which is unlike any 22-year-old guy I've ever known. And his relationship with Knives actually does seem pretty normal and healthy. But then he meets Ramona and he becomes obsessed with her to the point where he's actually ignoring Knives and being actually very cruel to Knives. And then he cheats on Knives with Ramona. Now, I'll put it on the absolute record... I abhor cheating. It's happened to me a lot and I'll never ever understand what makes someone do it. So when Scott cheats on knives with Ramona, he's cheating on them both um, because we know Ramona would have nothing to do with someone who's another evil ex waiting to happen. And I honestly think being played by anyone other than Michael Sarah would scupper this movie's chances of redeeming Scott at all. This is probably my favourite Michael Sarah movie because he starts out kind of a likeable enough douchebag and then redeems himself when he realises that he's not actually fighting for Ramona at all. Speaking of the fights, um, I can't not talk about each of the evil exes. Um, I've briefly mentioned Matthew Patel already. He sends Scott an email informing him of their upcoming battle and the League of Evil Exes, which Scott completely ignores because he's so infatuated with, with Ramona. He just doesn't care. When we meet Matthew, um, he bursts through the roof at a sex bomb gig. By the way, the sex bomb name is so fantastic. The bombs are the little bombs in Super Mario Brothers. So the fact it's called sex bomb, I I just love it so much. Um, so Matthew bursts through the roof. It has to be pointed out that the movie has no laws of physics. Other than the characters are a little bit like, oh, what's Scott doing? He's flying, you know, but... I mean, it's quite funny. So when Scott fights Matthew, his sister Stacy is there and she's like, oh, Scott can fly. But it's not like a big deal. It's not like it's it's like, whoa, oh my God, like he can fly and he can fight. It's just kind of seen to be the norm. It's just a given in this universe that Scott can all of a sudden fight. Um, anyway, the battle doesn't last all that long. It's got a bit of like a Bollywood style song and dance number. But he ends up, he KOs Matthew. Uh, and obviously KO is something that if you've played any fighting games like Street Fighter or Tekken, you will know what a KO is. It's a knockout. So he KOs Matthew and he wins their fight. 
So, Matthew is evil ex number one. He points with one finger, he has one V on his jacket sleeve, and Scott gains 1,000 points for defeating him. Throughout the movie, uh, other movies are referenced starring one Mr. Lucas Lee. So, Lucas is a big movie star uh, and is currently shooting a movie in Toronto, and Wallace is a big fan. Uh, lo and behold, though, Lucas and Ramona used to date. Oh, the irony that he's played by someone who is now one of the biggest and seemingly nicest men in Hollywood. So Lucas emerges from his trailer to the Universal Music and uh, he challenges Scott to a duel. But he, instead of fighting him himself, he sets his stuntmen, um, some of which are actually played by Chris Evans' real-life stuntmen, which is great, a great nod to stunt people who do a wonderful and thankless job. But the fact that he got his real stunt people on this, I think, is wonderful. So Scott defeats them all. But he basically realises he can never defeat Lucas by fighting traditionally. So he has to attack his ego. And this is one of the things that I love about this movie is it's not just a movie of Scott fights the exes the same way each time and beats them all. You have to have the fights that are kind of specific to each ex. And so for Lucas, uh, Scott attacks his ego and uses the old, well, I, I bet you can't do that trick. To get him to grind down a massive amount of steps, it's very dangerous. Lucas ends up reaching a speed of 309 kilometres an hour and dies at the bottom of the steps. So Lucas uh, is evil ex number two. He points with two fingers. He has the number two tattooed on his neck. He cracks his neck twice to the universal theme and Scott gains 2,000 points for defeating him, but failed to get his autograph, sadly. And throughout the movie, we're told of a girl who broke Scott's heart who's now the lead singer of a very successful band who are coming back into town, the Clash at Demon Head. That girl is Envy Adams, played by Brie Larson. After a gig, Envy invites all of Sex Bob-omb, Ramona and Knives backstage where her band, including her bassist, Todd Ingram, are chilling out. Turns out being vegan gives you the power of telekinesis, levitation and excellence in bass. If any vegans listening can confirm this, get in touch and let me know. And after Todd shows his true colours by punching the highlights out of Knives' hair. And that's probably the worst thing in the whole movie is the fact he actually punches a 17-year-old girl for no reason. Scott attacks him, but Todd's vegan powers are just too strong. Scott tries to attack him with a base battle, but Todd has the power of vegan base. So Scott is thrown back into a coffee machine. He then offers Todd a soy latte, which is actually laced with half and half. Now, I've been to America, so I know what half and half is, but essentially it's milk and it's definitely not vegan. And so the vegan police arrive and take away his vegan powers, leaving him powerless so Scott can deliver the final blow. Todd, evil ex number three, has three strikes with the vegan police. He has a number three with three stripes on his shirt. He throws Scott through three walls in the base battle, the alleyway behind the club has bins each showing the number three, and Scott gains 3,000 points for defeating him. During the entire first part of the movie, Ramona constantly corrects Scott every time he mentions seven evil ex-boyfriends, because it turns out that Ramona was a bit bicurious, and so she had a brief relationship with Roxy Richter, who actually met Scott before the fight with Todd, but obviously as evil ex number four, she couldn't be involved before evil ex number three. So Scott and Ramona meet Roxy at the Club Four, but Scott refuses to fight Roxy because he won't hit a woman, unlike Todd. And so Ramona takes on Roxy where you have this wonderfully choreographed fight I mentioned earlier. 
However, Roxy's here to fight Scott. And so Ramona uses Scott as a puppet, which is wonderful. And they fight Roxy together, with Ramona giving Scott the knowledge he needs to defeat her. She has a weak spot behind her knee. He touches it and she essentially orgasms to death. Roxy, <laughs> spelled with four letters, is Evil X number four. They fight at the club four and Scott gets 4,000 points for her defeat. Scott, in his supreme douchebagginess, is unhappy that Ramona is a woman with a dating history because obviously all women are virgins when men meet them. And so she is pissed and she breaks up with him, quite rightly. At the sex bob on Battle of the Bands, the band are pitched against Kyle and Ken Katanayagi, who Ramona actually dated one after the other. In a nod to Spinal Tap, they set their speakers to 11. Uh, the twins use their musical prowess to summon two massive dragons, which attack Sex Bob-omb and blow the roof off the building. In retaliation, Sex Bob-omb use their skills to create a giant yeti, which fights the dragons who crush the twins. This is all done by music, by the way. It's not just like random. The music is wonderful in this movie. Um, so the Katanayagi twins are Evil X's five and six. And they don't speak, actually, at all, because the actors didn't know very much English. Um, and what they did know was eventually cut due to time. But Scott earns 5,000 to 6,000 points for defeating them. And then he sees Ramona in the crowd with her ex, Gideon Graves. And he gets an extra life because at this point, it's time to get a life. So he does. Uh, Ramona is now back with her controlling ex, Gideon. Gideon invites the whole of Sex Bob-omb to play at the Chaos Theatre. Son Scott, who quits the band in protest at Gideon's signing of the group. Scott challenges Gideon from Ramona's heart, admits he's in love with her and earns the power of love sword. At this point, Knives attacks Ramona and Scott is forced to confess he cheated on them both and Gideon kills Scott. The end. No, well, it's not because Scott still has his extra life, which he uses to enter the Chaos Theatre. He makes peace with the band. He challenges Gideon not for Ramona, but for himself. He instead gains the power of self-respect sword he apologises to Ramona and Knives for cheating on them both. And Scott and Knives end up playing two-player mode to defeat Gideon. So, Gideon is now defeated. Gideon Gordon Graves. G is the seventh letter of the alphabet. Gideon is Evil X number seven. Uh, Scott and Knives earn seven million coins for defeating him. And Ramona is finally free of his control. And then we get the biggest surprise of all. Mega Scott. <laughs> so it's Scott versus Scott. How will it end? Who will win? Well, they both do, because it turns out Scott and Nega Scott get on really well. They're going to hang out. It's a really great trope-defying ending. I feel like there's so much to mention still about this movie, about how it was a box office failure, but it's still become a cool classic. Um, it opened fifth in its first weekend of release on August the 13th, 2010, and then it completely dropped out of the top 10 in America in its second week. Um, which is disappointing. It ended up making $47.6 million worldwide on a $60 million budget, but it's since made quite a splash on DVD and Blu-ray. And honestly, it's a great movie to watch at home because it's so pausable. And it's not often you want to pause a movie, but this one you really do because there's so much going on in the background. It's so visual. From the 8-bit style Universal logo opening, which I kind of put at the start, to the fact that no character blinks on camera. Um, and this is a genuine fact that if an actor blinked during a take, Edgar Wright would scrap it. Even if it was the most perfect take ever taken, he would still scrap it because he didn't want any blinking. But generally, it is a video game movie through and through. And video game movies don't tend to do very well. The most adaptations of video game movies are duff. 
But this is a proper good... It's based on a graphic novel, sure, but it's a proper good video game movie. It's actually, I would say, definitely the best video game movie. Um, And it's also a movie where you can follow Scott's journey to becoming a better person. Because as I mentioned, he starts out a complete douchebag. But in the end, he realises that he needs to fight these people for himself and not for a love interest. Which is probably the best message any movie with a romantic element to it can deliver. Be better for you, not for the person you want to date. I mentioned the music as well, sort of briefly. The music is pretty iconic. It's got some great music. Michael Sarah can genuinely play bass in real life. Apparently he's much better than his character as well. So he had to tone it down uh, to be less good. Most people were actually cast sort of purely on their ability to play an instrument. The music... I mean, it's really great music. It was actually Beck who wrote and composed all of the Sex Bobomb music. Like I said, all of the actors play their own instruments and they sing. Uh, Brie Larson performed Black Sheep, which is officially my new ringtone. Hello. Um, I've had uh, The Guardians Inferno for a few years now. And now I have uh, Black Sheep uh, sung by Brie Larson. And obviously, Nintendo of America gave permission for The Legend of Zelda music to be used which is, oh, it's such a classic piece of music. Honestly, there's so much wonderful Zelda music that's available on YouTube. Please go and check it out. And the art used in this movie isn't actually the genuine art from the graphic novels, but it's actually faithful recreations by Edgar Wright's brother Oscar Wright. And if you look very closely at the fake Lucas Lee movie posters, the movie studio responsible for all of these Lucas Lee movies is Oscar Wright Studios. There were quite a few endings that were filmed for the movie. There was one where Scott ends up with knives, which was never used. And the one that was used was where Scott ends up with Ramona. And there was another one that was never filmed. So this is quite interesting. The general gist, as described by Edgar Wright, was a news report mentions a local Toronto man has killed seven people who just happened to be the exes of his current girlfriend. While in his mind, he's in a video game. So basically, Scott Pilgrim is just a jealous serial killer with delusions. Um, That would definitely end the movie on a very different note. Um, And I suspect also fuel the current societal thinking that video game violence fuels real world violence, which, spoiler alert, it doesn't. Despite this slightly weird and downer of a potential ending, it's actually really hard to justify why Scott Pilgrim didn't do better. It's so much fun. It's full of these classic references that admittedly will age as the movie ages. Um, The performances and casting are spot on. And like I said, you'll never see a cast like this in a movie of this kind of size. Chris Evans is especially brilliant, sort of playing against every single type you could possibly think of. It mashes the 8-bit, 16-bit, 32-bit and 64-bit era of video games. So anyone like me who grew up with a NES all the way to an N64 will just be so supremely satisfied by this movie. It's really well thought out and it's really clever. But then this is Edgar Wright. So what did you expect? What it lacks in script, apart from with Wallace, because Wallace is incredible, it makes up for in practically everything else. From the Quentin Tarantino conceived title sequence to the inventive and colourful battles, there's always something on screen to delight you. Again, not something easily described by a podcast. So if you haven't seen Scott Pilgrim, I definitely recommend you do. It's probably the movie that most would associate with Wright the least. 
And based on a Twitter poll I did, it's most people's least or second to least favourite of all his movies. But that's only to be expected when your output is, is as consistently great as Wright's is. It's also really hard to recommend to people if you have seen his other stuff because it's simultaneously so different in style and yet so familiar in tone and reference. It's just really, really good fun. And as with most things I feature on this podcast, it really deserves more love. And I make a point of not swearing on this podcast, but I might just take a leaf out of Aubrey Plaza's Julie and just start cussing the f*** out of So I asked for, as I always do, social media thoughts on Scott Pilgrim and I got quite a few. I was surprised. So on Twitter, at Cap Understands said, Potentially my favourite movie of all time is between this and Ghostbusters. It spoke to me in ways that films haven't before and like Ghostbusters blends an engaging story with humour and heart throughout with incredible visual effects. At Lee Meanderthals said, Saw the movie before I read the comic series. It has its flaws, but it's so pretty. Just like the characters, oh my God. At Wyatt Rocks said, One of the rare films I saw knowing nothing about, fell in love with it, in my top three of Edgar Wright's movies. Great soundtrack, nails the video game comic book style, quirky, funny, everyone is on form, although Evans does steal the show. One of my go-to movies for a lazy slash hungover day. At Pulp Serial said, I remember going with my friends on opening weekend. There were like maybe 10 other people in the audience. That's when I knew there was a problem. I fell in love instantly with it, though. I mentioned earlier that I went to see it at the cinema and I had very much of a similar experience where it wasn't as empty as the likes of Dark Phoenix um, were empty, but it was pretty empty um, on my recollection. At Trivia Chic said, Edgar Wright is so good at visual storytelling, I can rewatch his movies multiple times and still find new tidbits, little visual cues and a big crazy plot points are given the same amount of care. The story goes places you don't expect it to go in ways you didn't expect. At Food History Pod said, Could not have been directed by anyone other than Edgar Wright. Comedic timing is so on point in this movie. Also, Michael Serra was inspired casting. What a film! At the D Cabrera said, This is my favourite right, although so silly to me this movie just hits it out of the park. The story is great, the FX is basic but used to advance the story, the Sarah face. This is my go-to when I'm bored, I've seen it about over 30 times easily. And at Troitle Power said, This movie is so much fun, I think there are some problematic relationship politics issues, but the silliness of the comic book and video game stylization is fantastic. Over on Instagram? I had a few, so at Contrarian Prime said, I love it and it saddens me that it bombed. Too quirky for the average moviegoer, I guess. I think it's my favourite Edgar Wright movie. At The Thirst Pod said, It's full of so many great performances and it's beyond quotable. And at The Real John G said, It's the Mary Elizabeth show for me. I can't help it. This wraps up my episode on Scott Pilgrim versus the world. I feel like I've said everything that I can possibly say about this movie to hopefully entice people to see it. I really, really would like people to watch this movie if they haven't. Um, And as always, I just really like to give movies some love that maybe don't get them. But I think it's quite obvious from the comments that a lot of people do really love this movie. And I think you're either in the camp of you really, really love Scott Pilgrim or you've never seen Scott Pilgrim. But unfortunately, I think that more people haven't seen Scott Pilgrim than love Scott Pilgrim. So I would absolutely implore anyone who has not seen Scott Pilgrim uh, just to give it a go. If you like Edgar Wright's other movies, you will definitely find 
the classic Edgar Wright-isms in this movie, but it is a little bit different to his other things. But that does not make it worse or, you know, not great because it really is fantastic in its own way. Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Episode 19 is going to be in two weeks, so on the 29th of September. And it was going to be something, but then I changed my mind. And there's a reason why I changed my mind, but I'm not going to go into why. So I had an idea for what was next, but I couldn't decide. So I did a Twitter poll because I love doing a Twitter poll. And I did it between two because I thought that would be easy. Turns out that it really wasn't because it was very, very close. It was between Logan and Edge of Tomorrow. So episode 19 by 52 to 48% was chosen by Twitter as Logan. And I'm very excited to talk about Logan because I mentioned it briefly in the episode that I did with Chin Lin on Dark Phoenix about how much, to be fair, we both love Logan. To be honest though, I kind of want both. And so I'm going to do both. One week after Logan comes out, I'm going to squeeze another episode in here. Um, Edge of Tomorrow is going to be out one week after Logan. So I'm going to do Logan on the 29th and I'm going to do Edge of Tomorrow on the 6th of October because I can't help myself and it's my podcast. And so I'm going to do what I want and I'm going to break the rules. So I'm going to do the best X-Men movie ever made, followed by Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt in the best Emily Blunt movie ever made, which also happens to star Tom Cruise in what I think is one of his greatest roles. But Emily Blunt is the main reason I'm doing Edge of Tomorrow because I can't wait to talk about her. She's phenomenal. If you like this episode, I've also done episodes on Titan AE, Captain Marvel, Dread, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow, Pleasantville, The Cabin in the Woods, Speed, Aladdin 1992-2019, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, X-Men Dark Phoenix, Charlie's Angels 2000, The Mummy 1999, The Matrix, John Carter, Willow and The Iron Giant. And they can all be downloaded wherever you get your podcasts from. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube and Letterboxd at Verbal Diorama. You can email me general hellos, feedback or suggestions, verbaldiorama at gmail.com. And if you like what I do and you want to leave me a great review, you can do so on iTunes and I would really appreciate that. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Bye. Wait, bread makes you fat? For fuck's sake. Movie should know. Movie should know.